Today we come to John chapter 8, where Jesus makes the declaration that he is the light of the world. So the challenge, well, I, I'm not going to speak for every pastor, but I will speak for this pastor. The challenge is never having too little to say. The challenge is how to say everything that you feel needs to be said in a reasonable amount of time. And I can see the fear and trepidation on your faces even as I say these words. So um, we're going to cover a lot of ground today, but we're going to do it very quickly. And I, you know, I could take um, our text is going to be John chapter eight, and we're going to uh, I'm going to read to you from verse twelve to verse thirty. Then I'm going to skip a chunk, and I'm going to read to you chapter 9, verse 1 through verse 5. And those verses in between there, we're not going to ignore them, we're just, we're just not, we're, we're going to cover them a little more quickly. I want to make sure you get the context of what's happening here today. There's much we could say. If we just took John chapter 8, verse 12, we could just take that, 12, that, that verse 12 and make it our text and say much about what this means when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But I want to try to give you the context of John chapter 8 into the first part of chapter 9, because I feel like it's really important. Uh, it, if it wasn't important, it wouldn't be in the Bible, right? Um, and it, it follows a theme that we see here in John's gospel. So if you remember last week when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, uh, Jesus makes that statement, and then Jesus starts talking about how no one can come to him unless the Father draws him. Today we're going to see that Jesus is still drawing distinctions between those who profess one thing with their mouth but live completely contrary. And this is important for us today because we're living in a time, not just in our culture, not just in the world, but within the church, where much of the church is saying one thing with their mouth, but they're not living it on the ground. It's what John talks about in his first epistle. You know, it is in the Gospel of John that John records the words of Jesus where Jesus said to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, so you are to love one another, John 14. And in John's first epistle, in 1 John, that whole small letter of five chapters is about how we can't just say that we love God. We've got to actually demonstrate that with our lives. Because John says, if you say that you love God and hate your brother, then the love of God is not in you. And so we need to do a really good job of understanding what does that mean 
what does it actually mean to love God? What does it mean to love my brother? I think there's a way that we all will agree there's a way to love your brother, and it looks a certain way. But I think the church has forgotten what the love of God meant. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, not to just come down here and tell us a message, but he gave his only begotten son to die for us. Jesus gave up his life. We could say Jesus loved us so much that he gave his life for us, and that is true. We can also say this, and I think it's equally true. Jesus hated sin so much that he gave up his life to conquer it. And we cannot just focus on God's love for us and ignore that God hated sin so much he sent his only begotten son to die for us so that he would conquer sin so that we could live free from it. Now, no one walking on this earth is going to live a sinless life. Jesus is the only person that ever did and ever will do that. But because of the grace given to us in Jesus, even in our sinfulness, God counts us righteous because we're not trusting in our works. We're trusting in his works. But as we trust in his works, our life is to look a certain way. People are not to just hear our words, they're to read our life. Paul says, you are living epistles. And so your life, whether you like it or not, is a letter. And it communicates what you actually believe, who you actually love, what you actually love. And that is not as much about what you say as much as it is about what you do. All right. That's my introduction. John chapter 8, let's begin in verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet, if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Then they said to him, Where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, he will kill himself. Will he kill himself because he says, where I go, you cannot come? 
And he said to them, You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Then he said to him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak to you, I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Now I'm going to skip over the rest of chapter 8, and I want us to come to chapter 9. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me, While it is day, the night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Father, let the light of your Holy Spirit, let the illumination of your Holy Spirit reveal the truth of this word to us. Lord, let your gospel have entrance into our hearts Let it renew our minds. Let it mold us and shape us. Father, let it remove all of the things that hinder the light of Christ in us, that we would be bright lights in this world of darkness, giving witness to you so that men could see Jesus, the light of the world, and know the hope, the hope that only his light and only his life can bring. Father, we ask this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 12. So, Jesus here makes this declaration, I am the light of of the world. In declaring himself to be the light of the world, Jesus lets the light he is shine for all to see and hear. Now we're going to talk about where Jesus makes this statement, when Jesus makes this statement, and why this is significant. Remember, Jesus didn't do anything in a corner. Jesus didn't do anything uh, out of sight so that no one could see. Jesus did everything out in the open, 
He didn't die a secret death. He didn't conceal his purpose for coming. He was the light of the world, and that light shone everywhere he went. And it is to be the same today. We are his children. We are his church. We are his bride, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the church he promised to build. Jesus said of us, you are the light of the world. That's what he said to his disciples. If you are his disciple, then you are the light of the world, and you are to let your light shine and not try to keep it hidden, not try to put it under a bushel basket. You are to let it shine for all to see. You might say, well, Pastor Jeff, what if the world doesn't like the light I'm shining around? It's okay. It's not your light. It's his light. And you should and I should feel privileged to be able to be called the light of the world, possessing the light of Jesus. Like we always say, just as fear is contagious, courage is contagious. So be courageous as lights. It could catch on. In declaring himself to be the light of the world, Jesus lets that light shine for all to see. Jesus did not declare himself to be just the light of the world. He said, I am. And we talked briefly about this last week. So Jesus, in using that I am statement, is using and applying to himself the name of God, the, God, the name of God that was revealed to Moses. We looked at that from, Mo, from uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. So Jesus is declaring himself to be I am. You'll notice everywhere we read there where Jesus said I am the light of the world, I am he. The he is italicized because in the original record, in the original, it's, it's, the he is implied. But what Jesus literally says is I am. So remember in the garden, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He didn't say I am he, he said I am. And when he says to the Pharisees later on, we're going to look at this. Before Abraham was, I am. It's the same statement here. I am the light of the world. He is declaring the name of God here. And he is declaring himself to be God in these verses. So we're going to work through these, um, these verses. Uh, and then we're going to talk about that chunk that I didn't read because we just don't have time to read it all and to work through it all today. But I want to try to get through as much as I can. So, John 8, 12, he spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So the statement, I am the light of the world, is a statement by Jesus declaring who he is. All of these I am statements are statements declaring who he is. You can come see me, buddy. He's declaring who he is. He is the light of the world. He is God incarnate. He is the light of God promised in the scriptures. God promised the light would come, and Jesus is that 
fulfillment. He is the promised light. Now let me just read you a few scriptures concerning that promised light coming into the world. There's a lot of them, but I I can only read just a few. But I want to read these to you to give you a broader context of what the Jews are hearing here. So this is not something... when, When Jesus said, I am the light of the world... Those Pharisees, those scribes that are hearing the words of Jesus are understanding exactly what Jesus is saying. Because they know all the scriptures I'm about to read to you, except the first one. The first one I'm going to read to you is John chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Because that wasn't written yet, but it was being lived out, spoken out in front of them as Jesus stood in their midst as the Logos, as the word who was with God, and the word who is God. And so John chapter 1, verse 3 through 5, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. This is Jesus, the light of the world. John 3, 19, and this is the condemnation. This, th- these are the words of Jesus when he says, I didn't come to, to condemn the world, I came to save the world. And this is the condemnation. Why? Because the world was already under, it was already condemned. And he says in verse 19, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That's written in the past tense, but we could put it in the present tense. And it's still true today. Because the light has come into the world and men still love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So that's why preaching behavior modification is not the solution. The gospel is not behavior modification. The gospel is transformation. The gospel is not a change in behavior. The gospel is a change in nature. Jesus didn't say, truly, truly, if a man just behaves well enough, he'll see the kingdom of God and enter into it. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born again, he can't even see the kingdom. I always ask people, how did you decide you were going to be born the first time? Oh, wait, you didn't, did you? Well, how did you get here? Well, I got news for you. You're here because God put you here. And you are here for such a time as this, right now. Because men still love darkness. Men's deeds are still evil. And it's not more behavior modification that men need to hear from pulpits on Sunday morning or any other time. It's not sermons about living your best life yet that they need to hear. What they need to hear is that they are desperately in need of a Savior because they are in darkness, their deeds are evil, and the only thing and the only one that can deliver them from their sin is Jesus Christ, and they must be born again in order to find that salvation and find that deliverance, and God is the one who does that. It is a miracle that God performs in the hearts of men when he gives them new hearts. It's what we read today out of Ezekiel. God literally raises us from the dead and gives us life. And what killed us? It was sin that killed us. 
And the strength of sin is the law that reveals to us that we cannot save ourselves, but we need a Savior to save us. And Jesus is that Savior. Isaiah 9-2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Isaiah 49-6, indeed he says, it is too small, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the, the preserved ones of Israel. That's too small. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. This verse right here in Isaiah 49, 6 helps us understand what Jesus meant when he said God so loved the world. God, God so loved the world. In other words, I'm sending my son to save not just Israel, but to save the nations, the Gentiles, the whole world, Jew and Gentile. Isaiah 60, verse 19, the sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you. But the Lord will be to you an everlasting light, and your God, your glory. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Fear God, but don't fear man. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The, the, the implied answer is there, you shouldn't fear anybody. You, you should not be afraid. Now, I'm not so naive as to think that, that, that we're not constantly tempted to be afraid. We are. And we fall into fear very often. But this is why we're going through this. Because the scripture, throughout the scripture, God tells us hundreds of times, don't be afraid. I'm with you. That's what he told Joshua. Fear not, for I'm with you, says the Lord. And it's the same word and the same promise to us. Then from Luke's gospel, chapter 2, verse 30, and 30 through 32. For my eyes have seen your salvation. This is the words of Simeon, the old man who was waiting in the temple because God had promised him before he died he would see the Messiah. And in that day when Joseph and Mary carried the baby Jesus to dedicate him to God in the temple, Simeon sees the baby and recognizes because he had eyes to see the Messiah. And this, these are the words of Simeon. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. He's quoting the prophets. He knows that the light that had been promised by God, spoken of through the prophets, through David in the Psalms, this baby that he saw, this mother and father carrying through the temple, this baby is the light of the world promised by God. The promised light has come. Jesus, in his own words, declares himself to be the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Now, who's he talking to? Well, verse 13 tells us, the Pharisees therefore said to him. Now, he's talking to Pharisees. They're listening. They're having a dialogue here, but there's lots of other people around. We'll get to that in a few verses. 
But the Pharisees respond to Jesus' words. You bear witness of yourself, your witness is not true. In other words, they accused Jesus of bearing false witness. They accused him of lying. And of course, Jesus pushes back and he says, I'm not lying. Um, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I don't judge anyone. And, And Jesus, in another place, says to the Pharisees, I don't have to judge you because the word you profess to trust in, that that will judge you. The law of Moses will judge you. What you say you trust in, what you say has made you so righteous because you're able to keep it, that law, that word will judge you one day. I don't have to judge. Yet, he will judge, and he does judge. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. And then he, he, he quotes what, what they're already uh, implying, that the law, yes, says by the testimony of two men, let every word be established. And then in verse 18, he says, I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father is the other. He said, if you need two witnesses, you got them, me and my Father. There are the two witnesses you need to establish the word that I'm declaring. The Pharisees accuse Jesus of bearing false witness, and they're calling him a liar. But Jesus is not phased by this, for Jesus is the truth, and his witness is true. When people call us liars, when we declare the truth of God, we should not be phased by that either. Because you're not declaring... If you're declaring your word and your opinion then you should probably pull back. But if you are delivering the message of the gospel, if you are delivering God's word, it's not your word, it's not your message, it's his message, and we are his messengers. And when we deliver the truth of the gospel to a world who loves darkness, whose deeds are evil, we should never be surprised that they're going to push back against us call us liars, and that, that might be the best thing that they call us, right? And we should not be faced by that. That should not create fear in us. I mean, I understand. I want everyone to like me, but you have to realize not everyone's going to like you. And if they dislike you because of your love for Jesus and your love for God, then you're just being like your Savior. Because remember, Jesus loved so perfectly that they murdered him. And, and we have not achieved that standard yet. I hope we never do. Uh, though perhaps many people have murdered us in their heart, they haven't done the dirty deed yet, right? And so there's no reason for us to be fearful. Then in verse 19, then they said to him, where is your father? Because Jesus keeps talking about his father, and he says, well, you don't know me and you don't know my father. If you had known me, then you would know my father, and vice versa. Had you known my father, you would would also know me. He says this to them later on. So Jesus here is referring to his heavenly father, and Jesus plainly tells them that they do not know his father, indicating that they do not know God. 
what right does Jesus have to tell those men that they don't know God? They're professing to know God, but Jesus says, you don't know God. You don't know my Father. You don't know me. You don't know my Father. Does this Jesus here in John chapter 8 sound uh, strangely removed from the Jesus the world likes to tell us that we should be believing in? Have you noticed that? That this Jesus here that we're reading about doesn't sound like he's being very nice to these Pharisees. I mean, after all, if he would just be more nice to them and try to work with them and find a compromise about these things, they could probably all get along, right? And it would be a much better world. Or would it? Would it? No, it wouldn't. So don't believe the world, don't go to the world, don't go to the commentary of the world or churches who are worldly to understand who Jesus is. Go to the Scripture. Read the Scripture for yourself. Read the words of Jesus for yourself and see that Jesus loved these people so much that he was willing to tell them the hard truths that he knew would offend them. And Jesus calls us to be exactly the same way. Not arrogantly, not condemning, but in love, speaking the truth. So he keeps referring to his Father, and he tells them, you can't know the Father if you don't know the Son. You can't know the Son if you don't know the Father. And then in verse 20, these words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught. So this is commentary by John telling us where this is taking place. So this dialogue has been going on for a while. And, and then John just inserts this in verse 20 here. And he says, these words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no one laid hands on him for his hour had not yet come. Now... If we back up in chapter 8, we see that Jesus is standing in the temple and he declares, if anyone thirsts, let them come to me and I will give them living water. It will flow from their inmost being. And Jesus makes that declaration during the Feast of Tabernacles. And he makes that declaration, the scripture says, on the last day, the great day of the feast. Now, though John doesn't say that's the Feast of Tabernacles, everybody reading John's gospel and everybody would recognize because the last day, the great day of the feast, is, is the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, which was a, a seven-day feast plus one day, the great day. And during the Feast of Tabernacles, they had this ceremony called the water-drawing ceremony where they would go to Jacob's well and draw water. They'd bring it back up to the temple, and they'd pour it out on the altar, drawing water from the wells of salvation. So on that, during that ceremony, while the Jews are having this parade, this procession going from Jacob's well back up to the temple, this was a big deal. Tabernacles was the only, the only one of the seven original feasts that was commanded to be a, a party, a rejoicing. So this is a great rejoicing that's taking place. They've drawn water from the 
wells of salvation. They're going to go and pour them out. And here is Jesus in the temple while this is taking place, declaring, come to me, all you who thirst, and I will give you living water. And what Jesus was saying is, uh, while you guys are bringing that water in the bucket to pour on the altar, here is the living water. Here is, here I am, the very one that water represents. Don't look to the water anymore. Look to me. I will give you living water, and from your inmost beings will flow rivers of living water. That's powerful. And so when Jesus makes that statement recorded earlier in John 8, everybody knows exactly what Jesus is proclaiming. And they're either happy about it or they're mad about it. And a lot of them were mad about it. Now let's fast forward back to verse 20. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury. Where was the treasury? The treasury was in the court of the women. Who could go into the court of the women? Could women go in the court of the women? Yes, they could. That's why it's called the court of the women. Could only women go in the court of the women? No. Anybody, man or woman, was welcome in the court of the women. But when you left the court of the women and you went to the court of the priests, guess what? Only priests could go there. Or you were in the court of the men, guess what? Only men could go there. So why would the treasury be in the court of the women? Because men and women bring their money, their offerings to give to God. And if they were to put the treasury in the court of the men, the women wouldn't be able to go there and put their money in there. Because women weren't allowed in the court of, except in the court of the women. So if you can imagine, the court of the women was a very large place filled with men and women. And at this time, during the Feast of Tabernacle, it would have been especially crowded. Why? Because Tabernacles was one of three feasts in which God commanded every male to appear before him in the place in which he chose his name to dwell forever, which by this time, it was known to be the city of Jerusalem. Still a type and a shadow pointing us to the heavenly city, the eternal city, Jerusalem, the holy Jerusalem, which is you and I today, the church. But then they were all in the temple for the Feast of Tabernacles because Jews came from all over the world to keep this feast, to obey the law, to observe the feast. And so if you can imagine, when Jesus stands in the treasury, this is where John says he is, He's standing there, and what does he declare? I am the light of the world. Now, why is that significant? Well, because in that court of the women, for the Feast of Tabernacles, there were these gigantic candelabra menorahs. And there was a ceremony called the Illumination of the Temple. And during tabernacles, they would light these gigantic... Some the, the, the historians say, the Jewish historians say, those candelabras were 75 feet tall. You had to climb up on a ladder to get up there to light these things. And they would light these things. And, and tabernacles is all about the journey in the wilderness for Israel. That's why they're commanded to live in booths for the seven days. And, and it's like when they lived in booths in the wilderness. 
And so these gigantic menorahs that were lit in the court of the women were to, um, were to remind Israel of the pillar of fire by night that went with them. And so Jesus, this is where Jesus is. These things are there burning, illuminating the temple. And just like Jesus did when they brought the water, here is the light. And Jesus stands there and he says, I am the light of the world. And John says, these words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. Which tells us that there were those who did not like what Jesus was saying because they understood what Jesus was saying. So let's go on. So again, he makes this clear declaration of of who he is. He is the light of the world. He is God incarnate. And then Jesus continues his teaching while the Pharisees are listening. He's got their attention. Because they're trying to figure out who, who is this guy and what right does he have to say the things that he is saying. Because we don't know who he is. We don't know who his father is he keeps talking about. Uh, he hasn't given us his pedigree yet. So we don't know what seminary he graduated from. We don't know who his rabbi is who gives him the authority to say these things. Who is this guy? John chapter 8, verse 21 through 24. Then Jesus said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Now, if he hasn't already offended them enough, now he's telling these self-righteous Pharisees they're going to die in their sin. Again, I think Jesus needs to go to a few more church growth seminars to figure out how he should properly talk to people. Because he obviously is not winning influence here with these religious leaders. I mean, how is he going to network with them and how is he going to grow his church if he's not connected to these guys who have all the power and all the influence? I am being facetious, you do know. Because even in our good intentions to do good things, we sometimes forget whose allegiance we should be loyal to and who actually holds the power and the influence that can make a difference. And it's not necessarily the guy with a a church of 10,000. It's the Lord of glory who chooses to work through the weak and base and foolish things to confound the wise and to bring to nothing the mighty. And then he says, you're going to die in your sin. I'm going to go away. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, and he is really confusing them, will he kill himself because he says, where I go, you cannot come? And he said to them, you are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am 
Your translation may say that I am he, but the he is not there. It's italicized if you've got a King James or a New King James. What they hear Jesus say, because this is literally what he says, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. This is why John makes this commentary in verse 20 that it wasn't his time. They, they, they sought to lay hands on him, but it wasn't his time yet. Because Jesus keeps saying things like this that keep infuriating the religious crowd because they're getting what he's saying. And he's doubling down on this and emphasizing this because he wants them to get what he's saying. And he gives them a clear warning here. You will die in your sins for if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. So this is a gracious warning. When we give people the gospel and we tell them, without Jesus, you have no hope, you will die in your sins, you're not being ugly to them. You're being loving to them. That's grace. Jesus is graciously warning all who has ears to hear. Right here in the temple, in the treasury, and there are literally Jews from all over the world there. Hearing, by this time, you can imagine, you got a crowd of Pharisees and scribes with this rabbi, and people are listening because the fame of Jesus has already spread abroad. So there's an audience here, not just an audience of Pharisees, but an audience of, of Jews. And this gracious warning is equally ac applicable for us today. If you do not believe that Jesus is, if you don't believe that he is the light of the world, the bread of life, and the way, the truth, and the life. If you're not trusting in Jesus, you can't be saved. You will die in your sins. And we can't be afraid to tell people that. We need to say that in love. And we, when we say that to people, they need to know that we're saying that because we truly love them. We're not just out there trying to get points with God. No, if you truly love people, then tell them the truth. And this is the truth. We, too, are from below. That means we, too, must be born again by the Spirit from above. Jesus tells the unbelieving Pharisees that they can't go where he is going. Now, this is the Feast of Tabernacles. About six months into the future, we're going to have the, the Feast of Passover. And in the Feast of Passover the one that we'll see celebrated in the, in the Gospel of John, when we get to John chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, that's Passover. And in John 14, Jesus tells his disciples the exact opposite of what he just told the Pharisees. He says to these Pharisees, you can't go where I'm going. He tells his disciples, don't let your heart be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come again to receive you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. In verse 25, then they said to him, who are you? You can't go where I'm going. You're going to die in your sins unless you believe that I am. And the natural question of these Pharisees was, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. 
Verse 27 says, they did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. And so they ask this question again, who are you? But they're not asking, or at least not all of them, are asking from a desire to truly know him, but from unbelieving hearts that are offended by the things that he is saying and the things he's implying about himself. And they're wondering what right he has to say these things because they're thinking blasphemy. They're thinking this guy deserves death. Then in verse 28, Jesus points forward to the cross and to his triumph. Then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. There it is again. And that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things, and he who sent me is with me, and the Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. Jesus points ahead to the cross, and when you... When you, learn, when you hear the term cross, when you think of this, don't think just cross, the death of Jesus. Think cross. The crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection, and the glorious ascension of Jesus. That's the, the word cross. When the Bible talks about the cross of Christ, that shorthand for all of that. For if Jesus only died, he accomplished nothing. But because he died and was buried and was resurrected and ascended to the Father, this is his triumph. This is what he is proclaiming here in verse 29 to these Pharisees. He's proclaiming his triumph as he makes reference to the cross. And just as Jesus is assured that he is not left alone, his Father is with him, Jesus assures us as we are in this world that we are not alone. That he is the God who never leaves us, who never forsakes us. And then verse 30 says, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Many believed in him, indicating a genuineness of faith. As Jesus spoke these words concerning himself, many believed in him as the Messiah. This, that statement, many believed in him, indicates that they had committed themselves to Jesus. But I want to point out, many believed in him, but not all. We're going to see in verse 31 that Jesus draws a distinction. John draws a distinction. Not all believed in him. Let's just read verse 31. John 8, 31 and 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him. You've got to pay close attention here. It doesn't say, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him. Many, he spoke these words and many believed in him. Very next verse. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, not believed in him. And what's he say to those Jews who believed him? If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So there is a distinction uh, drawn between those who believe in him and those who believe him, indicated in verse 30 and verse 31. 
And this statement by Jesus is directed toward, the, toward those who are described as simply having believed him. And what's he say to them? If you abide, if you continue in my word. In other words, there were a lot of people hearing Jesus who believed him, but they weren't all in. Well, how do we know if they're all in or not? Well, Jesus says, if, you, if you're all in, you're going to continue in my word. You're going to abide in my word. I mean, this is a very, in, in a sense, this is a very practical thing here. You know, you know, when it comes to church, we seem to kind of lose our sensibility sometimes. We don't apply the same stream of logic we might as we do with other things. But let's just think about a marriage. If a husband, or let's, let's, let's flip it, let's say a wife, because Jesus is our, our bridegroom and we are the bride. So he's the husband, we're the wife, right? If a wife says to her husband, honey, I love you and I'm committed to you, but she's rarely at home, And she rarely has any interaction with him. But she keeps saying how much she loves him. And how much she believes in him. But there's no follow through. Would that declaration of love begin to ring hollow? It would, wouldn't it? And we would say, have you guys thought about going to marriage counseling? It seems like there's a problem here. You keep talking about your wife, but... She's like never here. Well, she loves me. Well, how come I've never met her yet? You know, where is she? I mean, we get that. But we can't apply the same thing to church because we'll say, well, you know, uh, you just have to believe. Okay, I, I don't disagree with that. You just have to love God. Okay, well, what's it mean to love God? Is it different than a husband and wife loving one another? Not according to the Bible. Because the Bible uses that picture of a marriage to, to help us understand the love Christ has for his church. You get what I'm driving at here? This is why Jesus says, basically, he knew their hearts. Some believed in him and were committed to him. Some believed, but they weren't committed. And he says, if you, to the Jews who believed him, if you abide, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now look at the very next verse. They answered him. Who's the they? Well, it tells us, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, and he says, I mean, how offensive is this? If you abide in my word, You are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Should that offend you? It shouldn't. But guess what? It greatly offended these Jews who believed him. Verse 33, they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, these Jews who believe him, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. That's a a not-so-veiled reference as to their spiritual condition here. 
And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. In other words, you're in the house right now, but you're slaves. You're slaves to sin, and you're going to be put out of the house. And, and that literally was done. That was literally done in 70 A.D. And a slave does not abide in a house forever, but a son abides forever. Who are we? If you are trusting in Christ, you are sons of God, and you are abiding in his house forever. In fact, the Bible says you are his house. That will never pass away. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So then this triggers this whole discourse with Jesus and these Pharisees who were described as having believed him. And we get farther down and we see that, um, it, for instance, in verse 47, he who is of God hears God's word, Jesus says, therefore you do not hear because you are not of God. They accuse Jesus of having a demon. Jesus goes on in verse 52, and he says, Then the Jews said to him, now, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead in the prophets, and you say, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. I'm sorry, these, the Pharisees. Verse 53, Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets, who are dead? But you make yourself, who do you make yourself out to be? There's the question again. Who are you? Who are you claiming to be? They know who he's claiming to be. They don't want to say it. They want him to say it. And Jesus answered, verse 54, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. My Father honors me. And then he goes on in, um, in verse 55, Yet you have not known him, my Father, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, then I'm a liar. But you're the, you're the guys who are lying. I'm not going to lie. I know my Father. You don't know my Father. <clears throat> but I do know him, and I keep his word. Verse 56, here's where Jesus really, he, he is not backing off here. Because, you know, one of the most important things, for, in order for us to really understand, to know our salvation, we have to know what we're being saved from. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? Here it is. What they've been waiting for, what they've been wanting Jesus to say, what they've been prodding him. Who, who, who is your father? Where are you from? By whose authority do you do these things? That's, this is what they're asking. Who do you claim to be? And here Jesus gives them the answer. Jesus said to them, John 8, 58, most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, us Western Christians, 2,000 years after the fact, don't really feel the weight of what Jesus just said to these Jews. But I promise you it was weighty. Verse 59, it was so weighty that what did they do? They took up stones to throw at him, to kill him for the for the crime of blasphemy because he just declared himself to be God with the unspeakable name of God. 
And then it says they took up stones, but Jesus, going through the midst of them, so passed by. Now, chapter 9. So all of this took place in the temple during the Feast of Tabernacles when hundreds of thousands of Jews had come from around the world to be in Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. And at the pinnacle of this feast, at this illumination ceremony, when they're lighting these 75-foot menorahs, and at nighttime, Jerusalem was said to look like a brilliant diamond shining in the darkness because of this this illumination that was there. And, And all of that, by God's providence, was put in place and established so that Jesus, on this particular day, at this particular time, comes to the temple, and at the very moment they are illuminating the temple with the lights to commemorate God, who is their light, guess who's there? God, who is their light and their salvation, is standing there, and he says, I am the light of the world and every scribe and every Pharisee hearing him knew exactly who he was identifying himself to be and he didn't say it once he didn't say it real quick so no one would really hear him because he didn't want to suffer the consequences of it he said it again and again and again in case you don't understand let me say it a different way in case you don't understand that let me say it a different way in case you think you're getting it let me just tell you you can't hear my words because you're not of your of my father you don't know my father you don't know me in fact you are not children of abraham you are sons of the devil who man do you know if jesus came to preach in our churches today and he preached like that we would have him escorted out. We wouldn't stand for a man standing behind the pulpit saying things like that, so offensive to people. We wouldn't do it. But here are the words of Jesus in the Bible given to us. What do we do with that? Chapter 9, and I'm closing. Now, so Jesus leaves, they they want to kill him, but it wasn't his time. He wasn't going to die by being stoned to death by a bunch of hard-hearted, proud Pharisees. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus healed a blind guy and then declared himself again declared himself to be the light of the world. So Jesus opened literal, physical, blind eyes when he healed this blind guy. But he did it to show the greater power of opening literal, spiritually blind eyes. Because we have a record in the Bible of blind guys who can see Jesus as the Messiah 
And guys with natural sight are looking right at Jesus and listening to him, and they can't see him. And Jesus says something so silly as, you know, uh, the, the Pharisees hear him, and, he's, and they say, oh, uh, wait a minute. Uh, Jesus, are you, are you accusing us of, of being blind? Uh, yeah, because you are. Listen to Isaiah 42, 6 through 7. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. He's talking about his servant. And will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people. I will give you as a covenant to the people. As a light to the Gentiles. As a covenant to the people, Israel. As a light to the Gentiles, the world, the rest of the world. Verse 7. To open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. And as Jesus is leaving the temple, after all that had happened, and he encounters the blind guy, it's like Jesus says, just in case you guys didn't quite get it, let me heal this blind guy. That was the fulfillment of the prophecy. That those were the signs. Remember when Jesus said to the people following him for the loaves? He said, you're not here for the signs. You're here for the loaves because you ate and were filled yesterday. What were those signs Jesus was talking about? This is one of those signs. One of the signs of the Messiah would be that he would open blind eyes. And who's going to open blind eyes? The light that God would send as a covenant to his people and as a light to the Gentiles. This is Jesus who declared himself to be the light of the world. This is the Jesus we are invited to fellowship with. We come to this table every week to fellowship with our God. So prepare yourselves to come to the Lord's table. If God has given you eyes to see and ears to hear, and you know that he is the light of the world, if you know that he is your light and your salvation, if you are members of his body, of his church, covenant members, whether you are young or whether you are old, God invites his family to his table to sup with him to eat bread and drink wine and be renewed so that you can go back out into this world and carry Jesus, the light of the world. Christian, you are welcome to come to this table. Welcome to Jesus. Thou whose purpose is to kindle now ignite us with thy fire while the earth awaits thy burning with thy passions us inspire overcome our sinful calmness rouse us with redemptive shame baptize with thy Thou who still a sword.
If you count yourself members of the body of Christ, you are welcome to this table. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus, the light of the world. Thank you for inviting us to your table, to eat your bread of life, of his body, and drink the wine of his blood. Renew us in your bread and wine. Illuminate the power of his body and his blood offered up for us. Enlighten and renew us to serve you, that we will go into this world as lights dispelling darkness. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the light of the world, and we thank you that that light dwells in us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we give you thanks, and we proclaim the body of Christ as we eat this bread, the body of Christ. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord, we thank you for the blood of Christ 
that takes away our sin. Father, we thank you for the new covenant established in that blood. We drink this cup and we proclaim the blood of Christ. I'm going to give you your commission, and then we'll have our doxology and benediction. If you would just hold one second before you leave after the benediction. I have, there are some announcements we would like to make. Jesus said to his disciples, and so to us, you are the light of the world. Jesus made it very clear that A city set on a hill can't be hidden. And the light that Christ has given to us, the light that Christ is in us, must not be hidden. We are commissioned to go into this world as vessels filled with and walking in His glorious light. He is the light of the world. You carry that light. And you are to let it shine bold, and bright to dispel the darkness all around you. For if men do not trust that Jesus is the Savior, the only Savior, the only Lord, the only God, they will die in their sins. And God has entrusted to us His glorious gospel to deliver men from their sin, to set them free, It's not in the power of your persuasion. It's in the power of the gospel. So go in that power. Proclaim it knowing that God will set the captives free. Amen? Amen. Let us sing our thanks. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you.